So, should I say it exactly the same way? So this is another observed talk. Observed number what, 12? Yes, I've given, this is the 12th talk I've given with that title. And I really like it. So. And there's so many ways you can talk about that. You can emphasize that. Uh, the idea of basically all we're saying is just not only observe, but whatever's coming towards you in any of the sense fields, just receive it. It's not that you can't add a little bit on. If, a, if there's a car driving, uh, pulling up fast behind you, you're driving along somebody, it's not that you're kind of uh, stupid about it. No, you add on, that car might hit me. You know, so you, you're, not, you're not totally so, you know, so into awareness that you uh, don't see the, the oncoming disaster. Of course you do. What you don't do is you don't create disasters out of just ordinary things. You don't add on necessarily whatever to whatever is arising, something that actually just is coming out of your paranoia about life or about your situation or about your job or your relationships. We all know, uh, have a little bit of a taste of what uh, paranoia is. It's when you make up stuff. So... The idea with observe uh, as a, a sitting meditation is sit down, hold still, watch what moves. If you do anything with it, and I've done meditations that are extremely complicated, where I'm visualizing all seven chakras with a little deity in each one and a, and a, mand or a, a, a uh, mantra uh, in Tibetan going around the heart center uh, clockwise, all different colors. And at the same time, I'm doing a, uh, a long uh, mantra. And then I'm also holding bells and dorjes and... Lots of toys. Complicated. And that's just part of the elaborate mandala that you're, you create when you do creation completion practices that are taught in the Tibetan tradition. And I'm not against that. I'm not trying to promote uh, something that goes against that. I would say if you need to do that kind of practice, you probably won't be able to help it. The Zen practice of Shikantaza probably won't be enough for you. You'll need to do something else. Sometimes Zen might a Zen practice or Shikantaza practice might work for you, but you can't find a teacher that you can get on the right wavelength with. And here you find a Tibetan Lama that you met three weeks ago that you don't you're not really interested in all that Tibetan stuff, but you're on that person's wavelength. That was my experience. I started out in Zen, and then I met. Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, uh, a great uh, teacher. And uh, I was totally into that. I was what you call a true believer. And the reason I was a true believer is I was so miserable and I was so terrified in my mind that I didn't know what to do with it. I was just, I'd better see a psychiatrist. Uh, and that terrified me more because then, because I am um, have pretty good perception in the midst of my neurosis, I could see that this person was a little bit crazier than I was. And they had a, what do they call it, a PhD? Yeah, they had a, a doctorate in that. And so they were, it's not that she was uh, um, crazy particularly, but she was not clear. I needed somebody who was really clear. And because I, I could see I needed help. So I, I left and uh, looked into other then I started looking in every direction possible. And I had to go through the whole scenario. Just say that I looked around a lot until I uh, met Trump uh, and Pucci. And then it was choiceless for me to study in that way. So I studied in that way, and those practices are very, very involved. Lots of creating images and dissolving them back into yourself over and over and over again. Millions, millions of mantras. Millions. That's a lot. Didn't think I could count to a million. But what I am presenting today and how, the way I present uh, meditation practice today is very, very simple. We also do, we do uh, White Tara uh, creation completion practice, which is much, much simpler than uh, Vajrasattva or Vajra Yogini Vajra Varahi. 
or any of the other uh, tantric uh, deities that are uh, out there. So literally, probably hundreds, if not thousands. So, um, so a little bit of that is still. Sometimes people need some of that. Um, I'm not here to make war on Tibetans or promote anything particularly. If you're listening to me, then you'll know whether this connects with this or this makes sense or not. If it doesn't, I'll do it. I'm not here to promote anything in particular. I have no sales pitch. The only thing I would say is, good idea to train your mind before this body-mind goes back into the elements. You can spend some time pursuing happiness. That might be a good idea to look at, the, at what it is that's preventing your innate, your natural happiness, or as we say it in this tradition, your Buddha nature, your awakened state, your natural sanity. How would you, how would that show up? What would that look like? No war. No war. No peace. No war. No peace. Peace isn't something you create. It's something that's already the case that we just keep getting in the way of it because of our fear, because of our hope for something better. <clears throat> it's like uh, Koban's, uh, Koban Chino, my, my Zen master, his translation, a free translation of the Heart Sutra uh, mantra, which goes, uh, gone, gone, gone beyond, gone completely beyond, awake, so be it, or uh, gate, gate, paragate, parasangate, bodhisattva. His translation was falling apart, falling apart, falling apart, nothing to do. I think that's pretty accurate. Not that he needed my approval. So the just observe part starts, Shikantala, just sit down, hold still, back straight, all the senses open, watch what moves. I'm not saying add on to what moves. I'm not saying subtract uh, from what moves or to look away. So those are the three. Don't add, don't subtract, don't divide. No math. Just observe. And sometimes in the process of doing that, as you've heard me say in the earlier talk, Sometimes we notice that we spontaneously add on to something, and sometimes we can't see what. Why are we doing that? Why? Why can't we just see that feeling, that thought, that emotion, that memory arise and dissolve? Why doesn't dissolve? Why do we stop it halfway and fixate on it and worry about it and fret about it and add on to it and come up with a bunch of paraphernalia in the form of, I like it. I don't like it. It's good. It's bad. It shouldn't be there. It should be there. Why are they doing this? I done to them, I don't deserve this, on and so forth. So that's the, the simple form of um, awareness practice, shikantaza. So meditation practice, commonly called lots of forms of meditation. Right and wrong is beside the point. You'll know. Uh, people teach different kinds of meditation. There's no right and there's no wrong. You'll find or you can do this, but you can't do that one. This is interesting. Your best friend does this, but you don't care for that. You'd rather do this, something else. Or you may, maybe you don't want to meditate at all. You should trust yourself. When I say trust yourself, I don't mean believe your thoughts. That's not trusting yourself. That is bullshitting yourself. Post meditation, after after the sitting practice, after the, the the knife sharpening action that has just sharpened the blade of awareness, it feels just about as boring. You can imagine how a knife blade feels that loves cutting carrots. You've had a few of those, met a few knife blades that like to cut carrots. They really like to cut carrots, but they don't like to be drugged back and forth over a stone. It makes no sense to them. It's when they get to the carrots, now I know what I'm here to do. So, but if you don't sharpen this blade, then you might as well be uh, cutting carrots with a butter knife. This doesn't work too well. So this is the, do this kind, do this sharpening, then post-meditation, uh, also watch what moves, don't add or don't subtract, but if you do add or subtract or divide, then just watch that. Don't add on to, to the, I sometimes say don't, don't do, if you feel some kind of negativity coming up, don't do another negativity on top of that. Yeah, eventually you have what I call a plywood mind. You have lots of layers and all it does is stop you from seeing. One of the things that can help you do this is to 
everything that is arising is there. It's it's just naturally arisen. It could be the weather. It could be someone walking through the door. It could be someone turning on music next door. It could be some, your phone ringing. It could be someone, um, your children or your uh, parents or your brother, sister, your mate coming in and ta- distracting you into something else or asking you about something if you're taking care of this, this, or this. When that is occurring, there are other things that are actually there that are also in what we call uh, traditionally the present moment, as if there was such a thing. Let's say there is. Well, in that present moment, besides the very voice that you're receiving, that you're, uh, you're immediately understanding because they're speaking uh, Portuguese uh, you're, or English, you're immediately understanding what they're saying and you're translating that into your own um, relative situation of, yes, no, I did not get picked that up at the store. We're going to have to go back. So you have all those things happening, all those very mundane, ordinary things. There's other things that are going on there, too. One of them is gravity. We forget we ignore gravity constantly. Don't ignore gravity. It's not ignoring you. If it did, you'd be in big trouble. We'd all be in big trouble. And it could happen. Anything that is occurring could stop. Anything that is not occurring can begin. It's just the nature of relative truth. So include that. You don't have to do it in some fancy kind of way that where you're puffing yourself up with how wonderfully aware you are. You do it just very simple, just a touch and go. You're listening to what someone's saying. Register the color of their shirt. Just as, as that, as a discrete reception, you're just receiving red. You're receiving black. You wouldn't say that. You would just notice that. There would be no addition of a word. You'd notice your weight against the floor or on the chair. You'd know, As you talk to someone, you, you'd be aware that your, your body language is part of that. So don't ignore your own body language. Other people are not. Some people are very, very... Some people spend a lot of time just watching body language and not turning it into some kind of meaning. Well, he must be this, or he must be that. Like, what was that show that we used to be on? Lie to Me. Yeah, Lie to Me was a show based on some company that would look at what you're doing and then write a bunch of things down and then sell that information to somebody else. Isn't that how it worked? No. I'd love to meet that guy. He has a PhD. Well, then maybe I should stay away. Dr. Ekman. Dr. Ekman. So... Not that that isn't incorrect or that wouldn't be helpful, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about an awareness practice that is what? Including, including, including. If you're labeling and you're doing what he's doing, he has a strategy to use that information to build somebody and to actually tell them what they're up to in their crazy mind. And if they were to watch me, they might be able to say that when I do my fingers like this and like that, and then I go like this and like this, they might be able to... He's crazy. (laughs) So what am I saying? I'm saying along with the natural seeing, viewing, listening to someone's tone of voice, they're talking about groceries or they need to go back to the store because they forgot something, very simple things. At the same time, this very mundane situation is happening. This is the spiritual path. And it is a spiritual path in that you have as many of your sense organs and consciousness on receive. So whatever is coming through any of the six sense fields, those objects of sounds, smells, tastes, thoughts, sounds, that you just receive them. No comment, no no addition, no elaboration on anything. If you need to elaborate on something, it'll just happen spontaneously out of your awareness and not out of your thinking process or your paranoia or your self-centeredness or your, to put it bluntly, your ego. Ego is unreal, but it doesn't know that. So that just observing, number 11 can be just that, just whatever's showing up, post-meditation, just whatever is happening, observe and include as much as you can about what is happening around that. Even though you, because of the nature of the communication, 
it is drawing you into some kind of a, a dark spot that you're not quite sure, but you're starting to feel aggravated or irritated by it. Please don't uh, disagree with that. Please don't try to be somebody that you're not. Don't miss your life, as I say, over and over and over again. Be genuine. Be genuine. Be, uh, I'm not going to say what I said earlier. I'm censoring that. <laughs> but be a, a bad person. <laughs> How's that? Be a person who is disagreeable, cranky. Go ahead and be that and make it part of your path to see what that is about so that, so that uh, you can always take a moment and apologize to the person. Say, you can say, whoops, sorry, I don't mean to, didn't mean to take that out of you. I'm not feeling so good. Apologize once. If you apologize twice, it's about you wanting to be forgiven. If you apologize once, probably you mean it. But if you look for confirmation or being let off the hook, that's not an apology. That's a transaction, and that's a very materialistic, culturally, socially, and ultimately spiritually. Not wrong. Just circular. So if you say why, you're going to get a because. And then if you say why that, you get another because. And then you get another because. And the next thing you know, you're back around at uh, the beginning of the 360-degree circle. But if you say, what is that? What is that? What is this? What is this? What is this? Then that has to, over time, that has to open up. And even though it might start looking like uh, it's opaque and it's not getting anywhere and it's like looking into, into, a, wo into a woods at 2 o'clock in the morning uh, during new moon, keep looking. Keep looking. Part of looking is seeing how you're not looking. Part of looking is seeing how you can't possibly look. Part of being aware is seeing I can't possibly be aware. Part of being aware is saying, I feel like I'm ignoring everything. That's awareness. Awareness is king. Awareness is queen. Uh, awareness is LGBTQ. Did I get all the letters in there? There's a couple more. There is. What are they? I something else. Oh. I'm willing to learn. <laughs> so in other words, prioritize that. Get the, the way I talked, I think even earlier I talked about practice so that uh, the, the, uh, the awareness, that which is open and received more uh, like the sky itself, uh, has some priority. The sky is always there. It's the clouds that come and go. So if the clouds come and go, then let's, let's prioritize, let's, let's identify, you could say, with the sky, which doesn't do much. It's just blue sometimes, or black, and it's just, uh, it's just open. Clouds come, fine. Clouds leave, fine. None of your business. But we, don't, we also don't ignore them. We watch what shows up, and we watch it back off, we watch it return. Without saying, here it comes again, or there I go again. You say, there I go again, or anything along that line, you're, that's actually a form of covering things up. Don't elaborate. Don't, don't uh, judge. But if you do judge, then don't judge, judge the judging. Just observe. Just see what it is. Over time, it may take you 15, 20 years, 30 years. What else are you going to do with your life? As my teacher Chogyam Trumper Rinpoche once said, I really like this. You may not attain enlightenment, but at least you'll make a nuisance of yourself. I think I probably made a nuisance of myself too. So the idea there is to see what's moving towards you in any of the sense fields, in particular the mind. Whatever's showing up in the mind is to to observe that without changing it by your comments. Because if you if you comment on it, it's not that you can't have a comment, but it should be a while down the road. You should actually observe it without knowing what it is for a while. Give it some time. Let it let it let it uh, recognize itself rather than jump to conclusion out of some kind of fear of not knowing. Ego wants to know all the time where it's at, how it's doing, if it's successful, if it's not successful. 
And I'm no, I'm no different. I, I wouldn't know about this if I, I mean, I have to look at this to see what this is about. I've been doing it for a long time. And uh, a number of years ago, I started talking about it. But I spent close to 35 years not talking about it at all, other than, oh, I would brag once in a while. I sometimes tell say people tell people don't don't teach unless you have to because you know, if you're teaching out of some kind of uh, information thing a person might be better off just reading a book on it and of course the people that study under me who are monks who are teaching are teaching because I told them to so therefore they have to they don't have to they could go you can become a truck driver I wouldn't disagree with you could pull a camper. You could pull a camper right down to the monastery and park it out there and go into retreat. So if you have questions, I'd be happy to respond. You said it, it's about being aware. What is being aware? So the observed part or just receive just, just receiving whatever's happening without any addition to it. That way you can see clearly what it is. And if you if you know what it is, then there's the possibility you've added something onto it. You've named it before you've really looked at it. If I say don't do anything unless you have to, this is just another word for patience. And it's not really about waiting. I mean, it feels like that because the ego mind wants constant entertainment. It does not like to be weaned away from entertainment. But the, your enlightened, your Buddha nature, your wisdom mind is uh, that that's got to be showing up. You wouldn't even be in this room. The people who, who have got that pretty much stomped under the under a bucket or under the carpeting or locked up in their storage building somewhere are not going to show up at something like this. So if you're here, that means there's something happening with you, whether you whether this makes sense to you or not is not the point so much as there's something showing up that you're. You're interested in uh, training your mind and seeing deeply who you are, what this is, and very possibly you're interested in helping others who are having difficulty or spinning around. And there's a lot of them. Most people are sp in, spinning in circles, or either in prisons or drug rehab, or, or they just recently died because of that, because they can't get help, and because the kind of help they get is just adds quite often, not always, but quite often adds to the problem because they don't understand the nature of the. Uh, they don't understand the nature of addiction. More questions, that is. What is the nature of addiction? What's it look like to you? And I can talk about it, but I'd like to know what you think it is. It's a word. You Have you used that word recently, other than just in this question? Addiction? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did you use it? What was your understanding about when you used it? It's not a test. Well, I just wrote something down about it. Um, a way to turn away from uh, what I'm looking at or feeling. Yeah. So you use some kind of compulsive or irresistible urge to do something else. And it may be chemicals. It may be some kind of physical activity. It may be jogging. It could be, and it's, we're not here to, I'm not here to say that it's wrong. I'm just saying... Be aware of what's happening there. So if someone said to me, I really, I just need to go lift weights. I, I just need to do that. I have one uh, uh, person, uh, I have several people who do various kinds of physical, we just talked about that, do various kinds of physical things. So I'm all about that. Follow, do what you need to do to so that you don't feel so under pressure, but try to do it in a natural way rather than, uh, you know, uh, micro group. Not that you can't do that once in a while, but it's to do this and that, it doesn't work so well. My first teacher did a lot of that, and it was not a good idea. I wasn't in a position to talk him out of it. So, mm -hmm. is that the student's responsibility to talk the teacher out of bad habits? What is responsibility? way you define it and recall is the ability to respond it means you're very clear if you're not if you're not clear about this 
not clear about the whole dynamic of this person moving around and eating and sleeping and uh, standing, walking, lying down and doing and interacting. If you're not aware of what that is and you're confused about about it, then you won't be able to respond accurately to what's happening. You'll blame this or you'll blame this or you'll blame something. You'll accuse or you'll come up with some kind of idea about somebody's wrong, somebody else's right, and so on. The ability to respond means that you're able to respond with clarity in any situation with no praise, no blame. You're just functioning. And usually uh, it would show up as uh, doing the whatever is the most helpful, um, supportive to whatever is happening. You'd see the entire mandala of the situation, the entire circle. Yes? Is it possible to do harm even when you see clearly? Probably. Keep coming, miss. There's more to that question. Does that go away from the big picture then? Um, What's what's the basic question? Well, what seems to occur when I say that is that there's a subtle form of right and wrong. Uh, And that's not to say that People aren't abusing other people in horrendous ways. Yeah. Um, but if we see clearly, if we see something clearly, can there be a guarantee that? There's no guarantee. A guarantee is a very low level of functioning. A guarantee is based on some kind of imputation that things are separate and some things are good and some things are bad and some things are successful and some things are not. Anytime you have hope, you're going to have fear. Anytime you're going to have you have confusion, you're going to have Buddhas. Anytime you have Buddhas, you're going to have confusion. So is it just the use of our language at a given time that declares whether it, it, it's a Buddha or a sentient being? It has to do with belief and disbelief and ignoring the three poisons. So if you see clearly, then there, there, isn't, there isn't anything that isn't the Buddha. But how the Buddha manifests in any given situation, especially in this relative matrix that we all find ourselves showing up in, uh, the causes and conditions that are happening all the way around in those trees, in this neighborhood, in this city, in this world, in this country, it's really big. And it's uh, in motion all the time. And most of the what is happening is based on, at least recently, in the cultures, based on uh, warfare, winning and losing, hope and fear, good and evil, polarity, polarity. So we have to start somewhere. So where do we start? Here. The metaphor I use is, this is paranoia. Not that this we can't use it for thinking, but this is paranoia. This is fear. And uh, this is uh, the commonly used word for this, which is more than that, but it's love. Love doesn't think. Love doesn't pick and choose. And you can't, you can't uh, feel love. If you're feeling something, it's probably sentiment. Is there a way to test whether or not our actions are harmful or beneficial? But when I say don't do anything unless you have to, that that's part of that comes out of instead of looking at things that are scary or promising or something like that and just you know saying ah, I think I'm going to try this, I think I'm going to try that. If you're guessing or if you're picking and choosing or you're flipping a coin, then probably you shouldn't be doing anything. You should sit, so not just sit like this, but hang out for a while, watch what's move, watch what is moving until you see so clearly what is happening. That, the, that there's some kind of intelligent and sane way of working with whatever is manifesting, even if it's confusion. There's some way of working with that. It would be like me uh, to do it the other way around, like me trying to teach somebody who wasn't ready to receive these teachings. Or, or kind of promoting, like when people promote mindfulness practice uh, to others. I think it's a good idea. As far as I'm concerned, everybody should be a monk. But uh, people aren't ready to do that, and they should be. People should be respected where they're at, in what they're at, in their confusion. You're not going to be able to help somebody unless you 
meet them in their confusion. And you can't meet them in the confusion if you think you're better than they are, or if you think you're more enlightened. Enlightenment and confusion are not two different things. And if you think they are, then you'll have some kind of warfare going on. Uh, what's the difference between uh, receiving something and giving something your attention? I think it's the same. Looking at a cup, you're receiving the color, giving it, a, giving it your attention. So when you the, the, the receiving part is one part of generosity. You receive the generosity of what's being given. And the giving something your attention is you're giving your attention to that. So it's both of those things are occurring giving something your attention and then receiving what it gives you. It seems attention um, can be restrictive in the sense that I focus on the cup, but I, I seem to be not including everything else. Well, the, the stacked chairs against the wall are not going to be lonely if you look at the cup, because they're not separate from that. It's just it's a way of talking about it. I'm not trying to be silly or tricky or something. I'm just saying that to really give anything your attention is to not really ignore anything else. Especially if you're focus, focusing or looking at it and you're receiving it. If you are if you have some expectations about it, if, it's not, if you have a standard set up and you're not living up to it, it's a misunderstanding about standards. Standards, people quite often think that standards are about controlling, making laws and obeying the laws. And really they're just they're guidelines. Um, is there a difference between just receiving and observing? <clears throat> well, two concepts. So, very similar, but there could be differences there, some kind of nuance happening, but you're the just, just observing might be, there might be some, a little bit more, you could say, proactive endeavoring to just observe what's happening, whereas the receiving might be a little bit more passive, maybe. But even those words don't, you know, they could help. So when I'm observing the river, am I also receiving the river? Probably. What happens when I receive the river? You're not separate from it. But it's not going to show up as an identity like, I'm just like the river. I better go write some poems. <laughs> Not that you couldn't write beautiful poems, especially if you were, um, you know, um, what's that? Was that one guy? Who's that one guy, Flita? Which guy? <laughs> <laughs> and why is he a guy? Huh? And why is he a guy? I didn't hear that. What was why you said that guy? Why is he a guy? Well, I'm a guy. You think it would be all for girls? <laughs> okay. Girl. Give me a girl poet that you like. Woman. Besides yourself, of course. Name one? Name one. Elizabeth Bishop. Has anybody read Elizabeth Bishop? I know you have. I haven't. Emily Dickinson. I haven't read her either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit. So where were we? Or weren't we? Somewhere. Yes, if you're really, to go back to that, if you're observing, looking at something that, though you may not recognize it as such, you're not separate from anything you're looking at. If you're actually with some, someone, listening to someone talk, whether it's your mom or your dad or your brother, your neighbor, your spouse, and just listening to them, you're, you're not separate from them. You're separated. There's a, two physical forms, but you're, you're with that person. You're, you're with them. And it's uh, very, very generous to give someone your attention. Not always easy because some people are spinning so much that they tend to throw off sparks. But you don't have to stand too close. 
step back a little bit and then give them some attention. Listening to people. Listen to them complain about their lawnmower. And don't give them any advice. <clears throat> Listening to people. So I remember you talking about having an experience of someone coming to the door, a Jehovah's Witness or something, and they, they have an agenda. So if someone has an agenda, they want something and you listen to them. And if, if, if you were able to be clear and realize that they want something from you and you want to, you want to exit that, seems very complicated to me. How, how is simple. that done? It's very simple. Answer the door. Hi. What up? They're probably going to say, they're usually dressed in suits, and they say, we want to, I can't remember what, they, what the spiel is, but it's, it's pretty good. I mean, they're, they, they're sincerely wanting to help you because they believe what they're doing. So then you could give them your attention. That's the first thing they want, is that that's something you can do. You can actually give them that. You're not going to take their classes. They get very confused uh, because they're not used to having somebody give them attention because people are, are afraid of that because they don't trust themselves. And they don't. They have some idea of right and wrong that, that tends to separate them. So they're already judging the Jehovah's Witness person, probably, rather than just realize this person is doing the best they can to live their life and is... And is uh, Happy ways they can. Their karma brought them into that path. There they are. Respect them. And one of the ways you can do that is look in their eyes and receive whatever they have. When that happened, I don't know if that's the story I told you, but mm -hmm. they came and sat down after about a half an hour or so. I was still listening to them. I think I asked a few questions, and they said so. And they were pretty happy to be there and have an audience, and two, two of them, I think, maybe three. This has been 20 years ago or more. And uh, so, but I listened, and it was interesting. To, and I said, uh, or I was listening, I asked a few questions, and they said, so can we set up some classes so we can come in and teach you about this? I said, no, I don't really want the classes, but I appreciate what you're doing. It sounds like you're really interested in helping people, and it looks good. I said, you know, I'm glad to see that you're doing that. And they say, I think they asked me something about, Further of all, couldn't we come in and do this? Or this? I said, you know, I, I already have a spiritual path. And then they asked me what that was, and I said, I practice Buddhism. And they started packing their stuff up. <laughs> so you could see that they weren't interested in what I was doing. And they were a little bit confused by why I was so interested in what they were doing. So it was, it was quite funny. I mean, it, it, was, it, was, uh, it was humorous. I mean, I wasn't laughing at them, but it was humorous to see them. This over there, and here take take the the whatever the board they were pointing things on, folding everything up, and they left. And uh, I don't know, it wasn't that difficult. It took a little time, but it wasn't that difficult to do that. So the way you get tangled up in a sales pitch is when you spend your t time trying to figure out how to get away from it. Huh. It, it, yes, as if there's something to get away from. Everything you're trying to get away from is is your mind. There's nothing really threatening anywhere. I'm not saying that somebody can't have a gun and threaten you, or, but uh, if you if you know who this what this is and who this is, then you're not going to be threatened by some Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> Just like if somebody came in, and, you know, had a gun and held you up, you, you know, I don't know what you would do. I would say, well, take take whatever you want, and they would look at my son's safe and say. We want in there. And I said, I don't know the combination of that. He says, yes, you do. And I said, well, actually, I do, but I forgot it. I said, if you don't give me the combination of that safe, we're going to end your life, old man. And I would say, do what you have to do. And I don't know if they would or not, but it'd be interesting. Let's make a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Further questions? That. <clears throat> I don't know how you said it, but you talked about how um, we translate things into our own language. Situation comes up and you're translating it how it makes yeah. sense. 
it seems like that's that happens automatically and habitually so if it jumps to the translation and then that's your reality how can you unhook from that see that you're hooked if you try to unhook without seeing the way in which you're fixated or attached then it becomes warfare and then then it's painful it's like and I don't want to use the example of a fish but because that's something that's not a very pleasant image but if a fish gets hooked on a hook you have to actually take it out the way it, take it out otherwise you can hurt the fish not that you're not hurting it already but you have to see the way in which it's hooked up to use the, the same way that you're fixated on something. You have to really see how that works so that you can relax in that area. But that area is all tightened up out of fear, hope and fear, mainly fear. Fear of being wrong. Fear, fear of being judged. It's, it's very subtle sometimes. But there's more there if you have it. Well, sometimes it seems like it would jump from the the original language to the interpreted language bef before you even knew what happened. So then your world is colored by your unconscious interpretation. Yeah, it's called prejudice. Yeah, unseen bias. Unseen prejudice, unseen bias, whatever. Most of the people who are actually uh, um, are, are functioning out of very little prejudice are the people who realize how prejudiced they are can't be a white person and not be prejudiced. If you think you're, if you're white and you think you're not prejudiced, then you are fooling yourself. Because you can but, but the idea is not to not be prejudiced, it's to be aware of the prejudice so you can work with it in a skillful way so that you don't unconsciously stomp on people who have, who have been uh, stomped on for centuries or how, whatever the prejudice may be. Difficult to, to work with that. It can't just be an intellectual thing that you do. Otherwise, it gets tied up in how you look and making sure nobody thinks you're prejudiced or, you know, I'm sure we all have stories about that. So if the original thing comes up and then there's the Extra. reflexive interpretation, then it goes right into the stomping. Yes. Is there any way to... So you're, you're, you're telling me about that, so you're already aware that that functions. So if that's continuing to happen in that same uh, situation, then you're adding something in there that you're not aware of or could not. It needs fuel to keep going. And the fuel it gets from ignoring or a combination of that and aggression, passion, which uh, shows up in terms of explaining or justifying or condemning or too much analysis. And so... Continue to look at it with nothing extra. Don't add anything to it. Already enough ingredients there to bake a cake. More? So, you have an example of something you can say that so you can give me a context for the environment, like something we've never used before because I don't want to go back to the Toyota dealership. <laughs> I'll have to painful. think about that for a bit. Um. I get mad just when I think about that one. <laughs> Anger doesn't go anywhere. Distress doesn't go anywhere. Passion, aggression, hope, and fear, all those things are still wandering around looking for somebody to host them all the time. Don't, don't, you don't have to go to war. You don't have to, you don't have to take any position on anything. Uh, other than hold your seat, watch what moves, so that that very, that very, very awareness, the boundary between this and post meditation, moving around when your body's moving, your thoughts are moving, your thinking, you're wondering what color to paint the living room. That that awareness that is being sharpened in sitting practice, the boundary between this and the movement uh, in your, your everyday life, or as I was saying, post-meditation, that boundary starts to fade, and your, your awareness is always all over the place. Uh, you'll notice that the stronger your awareness is, the less you think. And when you stop thinking less and less, uh, the, the, 
the remnants, you could say, or the particles of ego or the self-centeredness that have still not been examined that are running through the basement like mice uh, are, are going to panic about that. And they'll keep trying to get you to do something to be safer so they don't get exposed. And so it's just a matter of just continuing to practice, continue, sharpen that blade, sit down, be, work with the awareness so the awareness and the everyday uh, Ill, uh, ignorance, uh, just they, we see that they're not two different things. That's when the boundary goes. Karen. If you cannot, with full sincerity and genuine, genuineness, um, give your attention to a person or a situation, is it appropriate to just honestly say, I, I, I can't do it? Sure. <laughs> I mean, but you don't have to say, screw you, I'm out of here. You don't have to say that. But you could say, you know, could uh, you don't have to draw them into some kind of thing where where it's going to make their spinning even worse by saying, "I don't like what you're saying, and I'm leaving." You could you could you could lie. Let me show you how to do that. Whoops, gotta go. And that's that's it's it's uh, the the idea of always being truthful is overrated. The idea is to always help people as much as you can, any way you can soften somebody's. Uh, conflicts and distress probably should be done. Just like when somebody comes up and says, asks you for money on the street, uh, you have no right to ask them what they're going to use that money for. And if you do and they say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go buy a sandwich, you're going to, yeah, sure. They should be able to either give them, give them the money or you don't give them the money. Give them the money if they want to buy drugs. That's their karma. Let them do, but help them. And of course, you're, if, they, if you know they're buying drugs, you're probably not going to continue to feed that. So you don't have to do it over and over. But you could do it the first time you meet them, to just to make a connection with you, giving something to them. Then, then they're going to give their attention to you the next time. And the next time they see you, say, lie, I'm broke. They're lying to you. You lie to them, I'm broke. And then you could ask them, so what are you up to today? And then, in other words... It depends on where you're at. It's the causes and conditions. You might have something else you have to do, but meet them where they're at. This means you may have to lie, but you don't necessarily have to continue to fuel a, a habit, but you could do it once so that you have the connection with them. So if there's any possibility of helping them, you have a connection with them. And then they'll make the assumption, like the Jehovah's Witnesses did, that I wanted to be taught about Jehovah God. And I didn't but I did want to connect with them. I did want to have some kind of receiving what they're doing without believing it or buying into it or there being no payoff. So we have a fellow come to, sometimes come to the monastery who's, who's, uh, what's his fellow's name who comes and begs? Oh. I can't think of his name. It hasn't been in a while. Oh, James. so. Is it James? James. James, yeah, yes, James. James. You met James. No, I've only heard about him. Oh, okay. okay. From me? I saw him out the window once. You saw him out the window? Yeah. Was he finishing up the job he agreed to do? Digging the little pond, fish pond? Because he, he milked us for a while. <laughs> yeah, I'll dig that. He wouldn't dig. He'd start and dig, and then we'd give him 10 bucks or something. Then he'd leave. Huh? And one time he came and wanted diapers or something. You offered to go get some and bring him to his house, and only didn't want that to happen. Can't meet the missus. No, Can't meet the missus. like that. But anyway, it's uh, the idea of uh, meet him, meet him a little bit. But you don't have to ha turn your life over to him and answer. You know, uh, you can also just say no. I don't have time. I'm busy. But it's still, it's still, you're still with him on some level. Further questions. Are there statements? Mm -hmm. So to take um, 
James, for example, as the yes. story, the situation comes up, and then without even knowing it, there's the story about James, and the response without even knowing it comes out of the story about James rather than mm-hmm. the initial situation. Yeah, but you know all that. You're aware of all that. So how can you strengthen seeing the primary? Don't don't forget gravity. You've got all kinds of incredibly present present moment stuff happening in, in all the other five sense consciousnesses. And what do we do? We ignore them and suck up into our fretting about, oh my God, James, why doesn't he get a job? <laughs> of course, you wouldn't use that voice. So, I mean, but you can just relate to him where he's at. It's quite, quite funny. He's quite humorous in an odd kind of way. There's no, like, there's no right way to do it. You're just there, and he's, he's standing around trying to figure out how to weasel some money out of you. <laughs> and you're not running away. You're not, and you're not giving him any money. Or you might. You might give him a dollar. I wonder, wasn't it one time we gave him some change and he got mad at us because that wasn't very much? <laughs> and of course, you don't say anything. Well, that's all I've got. I think Shoka did that one day. So, not trying to be mean to James. I'm a, you know, James, I'm sure, has a circuit that he goes around because he doesn't work. Any further questions about? Anything at all? Just observe or stop observing that? Or there's this one thing you don't have to observe? <laughs> how to turn the observer off and on? I haven't gotten into any of that. Nobody's asked me any questions about that, so I'm not going to tell you. How do you turn the observer off and on? How do you stop observing? Thank you very much. That's how you do it. <laughs>